If you've been journeying with us for the last several weeks, you know that we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And as we've gone through it, we've kind of picked out a song that will summarize the passage of Scripture that we'll be looking at. And uh, how about that one? How many people know Kansas is dust in the wind? I mean, come on, you got to know that. I'm probably, uh, again, you're a certain age. If you haven't raised your hand, you probably haven't listened to the radio in the last 40 years. But um, anyway, Kansas. Uh, they sing this song, Dust in the Wind, and I don't know if you heard Roy say it, but one of the lyrics he said was this, all we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see that all we are is dust in the wind. Hmm, what do you think of that? Is that all we are? Dust in the wind? Uh, interestingly, the Bible will tell us, and beautifully, that you are a whole lot more than just dust in the wind. Yet, yet, each one of us physically will, according to the Bible, become dust. The Bible says, from dust we were created, to dust we are going. But by the way, that's not our final state. But we'll get to that later. Genesis 3.19, and the part of the Bible where, where in the very beginning, God has created all things, and he's created them good, and he's created them to live, and He's created him to be so much more than just dust in the wind. And he's created us for himself. And he's created us to enjoy his creation. As a matter of fact, he's created us to rule and reign for him over beautiful creation. But instead, we rebelled. According to the Bible, there is a God who created everything and declared it good. And of all the things he created, he made us very good because we can know and love him. And yet, we thought we'd be better off without him. We thought that we could do it better on our own. So, so we rebelled. And he, he said, if, if you sin, then we shall surely die. He says, if sin enters the garden and the picture of God, then, then everything's going to be messed up. He was true to his word. He told us what would happen. He told us what would happen as a result of, of our sinfulness and, and brokenness. And even in Genesis 3.9, he says that from dust to dust, we will return. We started from dust, we're going to return to dust. It's, it's Abraham. He's one of the most prominent figures in the book of Genesis. He's, he's the father of our faith. He himself says, I'm nothing but dust and, and ashes. And we see because of that fall, we live in an extremely broken world. Everything around us is broken. Don't you see it? I'm sure you do. Everything. There's not one thing that we see, not, not one that isn't affected by that event so long ago. And because of that fall, because of sin, because of that, everything is cursed, the Bible says. Everything is dying. You know, because of that reality, in the places that we hope to find justice, uh, we find wickedness. In the places we hope to find righteousness, we find wickedness. Death comes to everything we love. I mean, from our pets to our loved ones. It just seems like we're in a season of that. Like every, every day, it seems like the last couple of weeks, I'm just reminded of just how horrific death is. And just brokenhearted over those who are brokenhearted. But it says in a world that we live in that we, we long for the people who are oppressed to be set free and comforted. But it seems like the people with all the power, they're just oppressing more and more and more. We live in such a, a broken world. and It doesn't seem like there's anybody who's offering any comfort. 
We live in a world where airplane pilots will lock themselves in a door and intentionally crash a plane with 150 innocent people on board. And we're left trying to figure out what happened. Even reading this morning, some of the experts say, we we may never know what happened. And, And we don't. I don't know what happened. But I know what happens in a broken world is awful stuff. I mean, all the time we hear those stories over and over and over again. As we've journeyed through the book of Ecclesiastes, we have been told repeatedly that we live under the sun, that that life apart from God here on earth is called under the sun, and where we are living without God, everything is truly broken. As a matter of fact, as we look through Ecclesiastes, it would say that everything seems meaningless, I mean, under the sun, I mean, what's, what's it all mean? It, it seems vanity, a, a phrase that comes over and over again. Vanity, vanity, all is broken. And what is broken according to the book of Ecclesiastes or what is crooked, it can't be made straight. It's not like we're smart enough to fix all our problems. It still remains broken. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, what is out of order, it just can't add up. And, and no matter who we are, no matter how we try, we always can't solve that equation. As a matter of fact, the book of Ecclesiastes says all of our strivings, the toil of our hands, the, the, the things we do apart from God, it's like striving after the wind. It's like herding cats. Huh. Good cheery book, isn't it? But in the midst of that darkness, there's hope that shines. In the midst, we are also told that God himself we are told in the book of Ecclesiastes, God himself will make everything beautiful in its time. The Bible tells us that the basic story of the Bible is he made it good and right. We messed it up and God himself is going to come and listen, he's going to fix everything that was broken. Everything. Everything that's broken inside of us, everything that's broken inside our families, everything that's broken inside our country, our world, uh, everything in our creation. He says he's going to make everything beautiful in its time. And everything is broken, he and he alone is going to fix. He tells us in a world that everything has become dust and ashes. From the ashes, his beauty is going to rise. From the dust, he is going to restore. And the question we all want to know, how how does God do it? I mean, we look around and we still see evidences of such a broken world. How does God make everything beautiful in its time? Well, i got to tell you, it's, it's amazing how he does it. It really is. I mean, how God brings justice is it's incredibly beautiful. How God secures righteousness, unbelievable. How God defeats death, our biggest enemy, it's so personal to him. And how he sets us free. How can God make everything beautiful? Well, we see a picture of it. This morning's Palm Sunday. This morning we are to celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry. And here's the one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Here's the one who's come to fix everything. And don't you picture a mighty warrior? Don't you picture someone who's going to have all the strength to make it right? And all of a sudden you look and you think, uh-oh, Jesus, you're riding on a donkey. He got a band of some people with some palm branches screaming and yelling at you. And you're on a donkey. This is what's supposed to fix it all? 
But we realize that through that triumphal ride into Jerusalem and through what he's about ready to do, that, that you and I, here's what you, here's what you can have today. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is what scripture says. You can have a handful of hope, hopefulness. A handful of hopefulness. Do you have that? He says that you can have a heart full of joy. But he also tells us you still might have some eyes full of tears. Let's look at God's word and see if we can find what we're looking for, what we long for in the midst of Solomon's or the preacher's journey to tell us about life under the sun. We're going to read God's word, Ecclesiastes 3, verses 16 through chapter 4, 6. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And we got to be mindful that although this was written a long time ago, um, not sure exactly who wrote it. The, the writer wants us to believe this is Solomon, a uh, lot, lot of that kind of language. But because this is God's word, because we believe that God himself has breathed his very being into these words, uh, these are living and active. And the point is this, this is not a story to entertain you. Uh, this isn't to give you a little bit more knowledge. Uh, God has this here for you where you are today. To transform you, to give you a handful of hope. Let's hear God's word. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. Let's just stop for a second and say, I saw under the sun and remind ourselves, this is life described on earth apart from God. So he sees in the place of justice there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. And that word testing really can be translated, it might be better translated, revealing. That God is, is revealing to us that we are but beasts apart from Him. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. Okay, we want to hit pause here again and say, he's not saying that we are equivalent to animals and beasts. He has made us in his image. But what he's saying is about our destiny, about all of us. No matter if you're the ugliest hyena or you're Miss America, you're both going to die. And the outcome is going to be dust. That's where we're all heading. He writes, all go, to one, all go to one place, all are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes downward into the earth. So I saw there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Now, we hit pause and we realize that the writer, no matter how smart he was, he lived before the resurrection. He lived before the rest of the story, so to speak. You know, he didn't hear Paul Harvey's the rest of the story that we have. And he asked, I'm not sure. But in verse chapter 4, verse 1, Again, I saw all the oppression uh, that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. 
On the side of their oppressors, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. He's feeling chipper, isn't he? But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and skill and work come from man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity in his striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and he eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and a striving under a striving after wind. Easy peasy stuff, is it not? What in the world? Let's ask God to come and make sense of that. And Father God, we ask that you would come by the power of your spirit, that you'd be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me, and that you would do that which only you can do, that you would shine light into this passage. This this is really showing us again just how bad things are under the sun without you. And where we long for justice and righteousness, we come up with wickedness in this world. Where the oppressed long to be comforted, they come up with just being more oppressed. Where death seems to have the final answer to everything. Would you give us hope? And God, would you give us ears to hear Jesus' voice because in him is life and life abundantly. Would you give us minds to understand your word, God, and how all of this points to Jesus and his triumphal entry? Would you give us hearts to embrace your truth? Every single heart here, whether it's a heart that's hardened because of sin or darkened because of unbelief, would you shine powerfully in all of our hearts so that our hearts can can beat for you? And God, would you be with us in a way that you're so powerfully here that our feet are are walking in a manner worthy of your name when, when we leave here for your glory. The things that I said are they're wrong or merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along in a bulletin with a, an outline, you can. I'm actually going to get to that at the end, so hang on there. But the preacher is going to tell us, as we just read, that everything is incredibly broken under the sun. It says, in the place of of justice, we should probably think courts. In the place of a place of law, there's there's wickedness. Have you been in a courtroom? Have you seen Lady Justice? Uh, What does she have? Uh, She has a a blindfold to say that that she's not biased, that justice should be without bias. Uh, She's holding scales that are balanced, saying that she is impartial. She's holding a sword saying that, that we need to execute swift judge, justice. And if we've seen our courts and we've seen the, the world, we want to say, well, well, that doesn't make any sense. Because we live in a world with slick lawyers and we, we live in a world with crooked judges. We live in a world with inept juries. And, and instead of justice, there's often wickedness. Is it not true? We see it over and over and over again. But there's more than that. In the place of righteousness, uh, um, the place that there should be righteousness is the church. How's the church done? I mean, how about our clergy, those in my profession? How often are we disappointed we find out how fallen and corrupt they are? 
I mean, how sad is it that our churches, that should be a place of refuge, have often become a place of abuse? And to those in our society that, that should be most cherished, they're most vulnerable. I mean, in the place of righteousness, has it not been true? Has your heart not been pained that when we've seen wickedness, even here, in the pl- place of oppression, in the place around the world, within our, our own neighborhoods, it seems like the oppressors have all the power, and those who are weeping have no one to comfort them. Death, is it not true? Death comes to everything we love. There's not one thing that you love that's not going to die. Boy, that's a good feeling. And you start thinking, oh, everything that we hold dear. But in this place of amazing brokenness, we have Jesus who stands triumphantly to give us hope. This is the broken world he came to. This is the reason why he came, to seek and to save the lost, the broken, those, those who are messed up, you and, and me. This is why he came for us. And God's providence, as I'm preaching through this, it's Palm Sunday. And we celebrate this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And it's Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. And, and again, we hear the story of the donkey. We know it, it goes back to, to uh, the prophet Zechariah that he'd come in on a donkey. But there's more than that. On a donkey in the Old Testament, it's a judge. And so a judge would ride on a donkey. So here we see Jesus coming into town as a king. But you also see him coming into town as a judge. And really, he's supposed to, to set justice right. He's supposed to make everything that's broken Right. And through his entry, we see that justice has been restored. It's crazy how he does it. That righteousness has been secured. That death has been defeated. And the oppressed have been comforted and set free. Let me read a little bit of the triumphal entry in Luke. Let's look to Luke chapter 19. And what I want to specifically have you hear in these verses is the question that was on the, the writer of Ecclesiastes. What about justice? What about righteousness? Uh, what about the oppressed? Uh, what about death? And see how God in Christ Jesus answers all these things. I'm going to pick up the story in Luke 19, starting in verse 35. I think these words should appear behind me. And they brought it to Jesus, the donkey, and threw their cloaks on the colt. Uh, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was, as he was drawing near... Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, who were the religious people, the religious leaders of the time, the Jewish religious leaders in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones are going to cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. What a heart of compassion. The book of Ecclesiastes says, where are those who comfort the mourning? Where are those who comfort the oppressed? And we have Jesus who's going to come as a king, weeping over the city, saying, Would that you even now have known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear down to the ground, tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. 
And they will not leave one stone on another in you, because you did not know the time of your salvation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything that they could, they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. It's incredible. You see, in the place of justice or the courts, Jesus found nothing but wickedness. I mean, when he's going to go through his trial in the court system, the most corrupt court system that ever took place was Jesus's. He goes before Pilate, and Pontius Pilate is going to examine him. You know, he keeps on saying, I find nothing wrong with this guy. I find nothing wrong with this guy. He keeps trying to bring him out and says, listen, I don't find anything wrong with him. He's done nothing wrong. What do you want me to do with him? I mean, this is Jesus, the one who is the truly innocent one, the sinless one, the spotless Lamb of God. Even Pontius Pilate couldn't find anything wrong with him. And so what does he do? What do you want me to do? And then the crowd yells, crucify him, crucify him, kill him. Why? He hasn't done anything wrong. Crucify him, crucify him. So he says, okay, I'll let the crowd determine justice. How about that injustice? I'll let the crowd sway the fact that I'm going to send an innocent man to die. I'll obliterate justice and kill God's son. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is so incredible of how he makes everything beautiful and how how God brings justice. Jesus is the ultimate judge who came to bring justice, and it's through his injustice through the injustice of the innocent one being killed because he was condemned to die and that he became God's judgment of wrath, that we are healed. I mean, it's incredible. How is justice going to be restored? It's going to be because the one who was truly just was treated unjustly for you and me so that God's justice and holiness could stay intact. Scripture says that Jesus became a curse He became a curse so the curse would be broken. He became a curse so that it was more than just dust to dust. In the place of righteousness, in Jesus' day, that was a temple. Where did he find? He found nothing but wickedness. It was a den of robbers. It was a mess. So what did he do? He goes in there, he clears it all out. And he basically says, listen, I'm the true temple. I'm the place that God and man meet. I'm the place, if you want to get to know the Father, you can only go through me. Destroy this temple in three days. We're going to rebuild it. And I am the resurrection and the life. And I will secure righteousness through the cross. It says that the cross of Psalm 85.10 says there's a place where, where righteousness and peace will kiss. And we realize that that's, that's the beautiful cross of Christ Jesus. You see, on the cross of Christ, Jesus became our sin. He he became our curse. And and we have now, by God's grace through faith, the privilege of becoming his righteousness. Righteousness has been restored to God's children because we now have the righteousness of God. Think about that. The whole Christian story, the gospel story is this, is that God is going to come for his people, none of them that deserve it, to become their sin so that we could become, we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
He's basically saying, I'm going to make this great transaction. I'm going to take all your filth, brokenness, and sin, and I'm going to put them on Christ Jesus. And there on the cross, the wrath of God is poured out upon it. And I'm going to take all of his purity, all of his righteousness, everything he has, I'm going to give it to you. And that is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And now we have, you ready for this? Now you and I can have, by God's grace, through faith, the righteousness of God. It's basically saying this. We can live our lives in God's holy eyes as his children wearing now God's righteousness. You see, it's his life and death and resurrection that matter, not ours. And God could see us in Christ Jesus. And he could see us not only forgiven, but beautiful. I mean, that's incredible. So it's more than if we just lived our life perfectly as if we could and we stood up with the righteousness of man before God. He said, I want to give you something better. I'm going to give you, through my son, the righteousness of God. I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to give you great. I'm going to give you new life. I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to make you mine. That's amazing what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. He secured justice by becoming the judgment of God. He secured righteousness by becoming the sin of man. It's incredible. In the place of the oppressed, Jesus weeps over those. He, he looked over Jerusalem and he wept. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, the city that stones the prophets and those who I sent to them. How I long for you. How I desire to gather you like a mother hand and, and bring you in. But you just weren't willing. I mean, what does Jesus do over Jerusalem? The place that he's entering in and, and they're, tra- they're screaming uh, Hosanna to, to King Jesus. Glory to God in the highest. What does he do? He weeps. He weeps over everything's broken. He weeps. I mean, I just, you got to know this about Jesus and, and God's character is that he weeps over our broken world. I mean, planes going into mountains, he weeps over. I mean, death over loved ones, he weeps over. He wept over the tomb of Lazarus. We weep, when he, we weep over the lost loved ones, he weeps too. I mean, that's, that's our God. He's, he's a God of comfort. But he does more than just weep over us. Listen, he does more than just weep over the city. Right for this? He sheds his blood. He dies for it. He dies for us. He doesn't just feel bad. He fixes it. And he fixes it through the cross. It says in Colossians 2.15 that through being nailed to the cross, he was canceling the power of sin. And it says this, listen, disarming the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He's basically saying those who were oppressive, those who had the power, I'm just making it a public sham. (laughs) The power is the cross of Jesus Christ. The power for all who weep can be set free and comforted. That's Jesus. You see, through all that Jesus has done, that justice has been restored in heaven and one day on earth. Righteousness has been secured for his people, and one day it'll be fully secure. Death has been defeated. That tomb was empty. We're going to celebrate that really next week a lot. And because of that, everything changes. And the oppressed have been set free. And they're comforted. And what does this bring us? It's this really interesting passage at the end that we now can have a fistful of quietness now. Did you look at that? 
A fistful of quietness. Kind of interesting, huh? Well, how do we have a fistful of quietness now? It said that God will make things right. He's going to judge the world. It says that he has replaced Lady Justice in the heavenly courts with a cross. The curse has been reversed through Jesus Christ, becoming a curse for us. So now, listen, now, right now, every single one of us can have in our lives of turmoil and brokenness a handful of quietness. Because Jesus has come, and he has brought life and life abundantly. He has brought beauty. He has brought healing. Right now, we can be forgiven and free. Jesus truly has, on the cross, satisfied divine justice on our behalf. Jesus on the cross truly has secured righteousness on our behalf. Jesus truly has conquered death. So why do we only have a handful of it? I mean, doesn't that kind of seem like, okay, this is such good news, but I got a handful? Because the kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully here. Jesus has come, but his, his work isn't finished. He's begun making everything beautiful, but it's not complete. And we know that painfully too well, don't we? We live in this weird time. It's, it's what theologians call the now and the not yet, that the beautiful things of the gospel are here, but they're not fully here. That he's begun the work of redemption, but it's not done yet. And he's going to complete it. And so now what do we have for our life? A handful of quietness. In the midst of it all, to know that God is still working, he's in charge, and he loves you. We have a handful of quietness and a heart full of hope. But I know our lives, we still have eyes full of tears. There's still some brokenness in our lives. But God finishes what he starts. He says this, it's better to have a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after the wind. If you don't have Jesus, all you have is toil and striving after your wind, after the wind. Let me ask you this, what is, what is in your hands? What is in your hands? Quietness, because God loves you and what he's done for you on the cross. Quietness or emptiness? What is in your heart, the eternity of your hearts? Emptiness? Or the beauty of Jesus who's begun a good work in you. You see, Jesus' triumphal entry is our triumphal entry into the kingdom of God. It's our hope. Jesus' victory is our victory. And we now are so much more than just dust in the wind. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the marvelous way that you bring justice. Through your son, Jesus. We thank you for the marvelous way you secure righteousness. Through your son, Jesus. We thank you for the marvelous way you set free and bring comfort to those who are oppressed. Through your son, Jesus. We think it's marvelous how you have defeated death itself. Through your son, Jesus. And apart from him, all we have are handfuls of toil and striving after the wind, which is basically saying all we have is nothing. But in you, in Christ Jesus, the one who has begun this good work, even now in the midst of our tears, in the midst of our screwed up and broken world, we can have a handful of quietness, knowing that our peace has come, knowing that our Savior has begun a good work that he will finish, and knowing that what he did on the cross was sufficient to fix the whole world. Oh God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. 
Oh God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And until that day that you come back and and bring us home or usher us into your presence in the midst of a world that is so broken and foul and messed up that just seems like dust in the wind, give us the glory of Jesus. In the Christ's name we pray, amen.